You're listening to China Africa Talk. Jambo ni Bridget akikuletea kipindi kinachohusiana na China na Africa. Vous écoutez le dialogue sino-africain avec Bridget. Everything China, everything Africa. Olá, você está ouvindo China Africa Talk com Bridget. Sayidati wa sadati marhaban bikum fi al-hawar al-siniy al-arabi ma'a Bridget. Compliments of the New Year. Welcome back to the program. This is China Africa Talk. I'm your host, Bridget Mutambirwa, coming to you from the Chinese capital in Beijing with more discussions on what's happening with China and Africa from a Chinese and African perspective. Today, my guests, Professors Leo Baocheng, Director of Center of International Business Ethics, University of International Business and Economics, Charles Nanaiju, Director of the Center for China Studies in Nigeria, and I pick up from last week's discussion on how China-Africa relations evolved in 2023 onto what to expect in 2024. Professor Nanaiju, I would like your perspective Looking at the forum on China-Africa cooperation, which is due to be hosted in China in 2024, how do you view the relations? Are they set to keep evolving and growing? What's your take? Well, the most identifiable trend of the FOCAC process, Forum on China-African Cooperation, has been continuously evolving, engaging the specific issues of the specific time, as we have seen in all the times. At the eighth ministerial conference in uh, Dakar, it focused on tackling the challenges of the pandemic and the post-pandemic recovery, and then a declaration of China-African community of shared future, pioneering that important framework of building a community of shared future for humanity, and um, answering the question of the times, engaging issues of the time, and uh, reflecting. On the challenges of the time, we continue at the core trend of the FOCAC process. We will witness more strengthening of China-African cooperation in all-round way. Not only China making continuous effort and contribution to strengthening, supporting African economies to become more resilient, but also Africa playing more important role. We will see so much sabra rattling. We will see so much rhetoric from the West. You know the the coupling, the risking, sabla rattling, you know, trying to uh, rattle China with her internal issues of Taiwan and others. We see an increase in tempo in this. Africa will continue to serve as a steady and stable window of diplomatic support for China, especially with so many global issues. We see more desperate measures by the West, especially led by United States to contain China. I think Africa will remain a very firm, stable, and um, crucial diplomatic window, as it has always been for China. And um, we see more, especially engagement, broader uh, exchanges between top leaders, China and Africa, and um, of course more economic engagement, uh, exchanges of uh, persons, support for capacity building. A vigorous uh, academic and scholarly exchanges between tech tanks and uh, schools and universities. All this will culminate, like you said, in the ninth ministerial conference of uh, China-African cooperation, hopefully in Beijing, and we will see an aggregation of this expectation, an aggregation of the understanding of the reality of the time, in the outcome of that summit. So I can say with confidence that the summit. 
will also address concrete issues arising from the challenge of both sides will uh, address concrete issues relating to African need, especially as it makes uh, the difficult uh, transition to a more economic diversification of our economies. The African free trade area become more functional. Issues relating to its dynamics, its challenges will also be addressed. So I, I look forward that the conference in Beijing will respond to some of these challenges. And what we have seen in the past year, like I have outlined, is that no matter how the international situations grows, no matter the twists and turns, and no matter the trajectory flows, we are very sure that African-China cooperation will, will always withstand the test of the time, will always answer questions relating to the critical challenges of both sides at a particular time. And as this has been the trend, it appears it will continue to be the trend as the mechanism evolves into higher quality engagement between the Chinese side and African side. Professor Liu Baocheng, I'd like to know from you, how can policymakers align their countries with the smallest beautiful approach? Yes, for the small and beautiful projects, there are a number of challenges that we need to pay attention to. One is that uh, we need to cut down more of the bureaucratic red tapes that are there for approval. And uh, then more of the NGOs will have to be involved to monitor the whole process on an integral and transparent basis so that the no rent seeking is involved in those uh, projects. And uh, then the feasibility study for sustainability must be carried out on a very candid basis because uh, we can see that uh, some of the roads and even the railway lines in Zambia, I notice, they are short of maintenance and then they wouldn't really function as uh, expected. So to make it really sustainable, people need to be trained and uh, the contract must be signed on a very solid basis, then the commitment must be met by all the stakeholders involved. So therefore, it is not really a charity program, but a, rather a sustainability program. The other issue is that uh, it is not only the government that is there to give the aid or support, but the private sectors need to be mobilized to do those small and beautiful projects. So it does not really mean it's totally non-profit because to improve a living standard, to empower women, to bring kids to schools, you need a whole cluster and a whole ecosystem to make it work out. So therefore, instead of handling a standalone projects, we must really take the entire ecological system, both on a social, geographical, and industrial level so that we are able to make it more successful. Out of which, again, the skill sets uh, must be the key for those uh, uh, projects because without it, people do not know how to manage the entire projects. And uh, then, you know, when stakeholders get all the disappointments, they will be reluctant to continue on the existing projects or to expand to other part for those similar projects. 
Professor Onanaiji, how can African policymakers align their countries with the smallest beautiful approach in 2024? Yes, there is absolutely no suggestion. This is going to be free, like we said, even in Africa, in the city of Freetown, there is no free lunch. If you have to drive this process, there must be ownership, ownership of host communities, ownership of host countries. And uh, like we know, the Belt and Road process has been driven on broad philosophy of extensive consultation, joint contribution, and of course, shared benefits. So joint contribution is absolutely important. Just like uh, Professor Liu has uh, mentioned, there is an important uh, for the ownership from the host side. So I believe that uh, smart, small, and beautiful a very important stage in uh, engaging this process, especially in Africa. But um, there will be a whole range of other variables that comes into play if this can be successfully done. What opportunities could the expansion of the BRICS bring to China and Africa? Professor Liu Baocheng. Yes, as we notice in the Johannesburg summit of the BRICS, there are high level of enthusiasm from many parts of the world to join this one. And the first benefit is finance, because the enlargement of the BRICS will involve more of the contribution into the BRICS banks or the new development bank. And that is there to support the infrastructure and uh, many other green and sustainable projects. The second benefit is that uh, because President Xi has emphasized that uh, there has to be a necessity to strengthen the South-South cooperation in which BRICS uh, really takes the driver's seat. So to strike more of the free trade agreement, investment protection program, uh, that can also attract more of the investor's interest into the tangible projects. The other is that uh, there's going to be stronger bargaining power with the other part of the world, uh, for example, with the northern world, as how they can really achieve a better success with climate change issues. Because immediately, how the developed world is there to honor their contribution on those uh, energy transformation and uh, climate change projects with uh, the 100 billion US dollars per annum, this has not really been uh, delivered. So there should be a harder bargain uh, with uh, more members involved in it. And then within those members, because at the moment, the BRICS is uh, still a forum interwoven by the uh, bank. So how they can really first build the right secretariat, the organizational structure, and then hopefully they can build a sort of treaty uh, within it so that uh, you know, all rights, obligations, and expectations are really there uh, written in letters and implemented by action. So this needs further consolidation because uh, more members will call a higher necessity to build a rule that everyone is there to follow. 
Hmm. Professor Ananaiju, still on support and development for African countries. During the China-Africa Leaders Dialogue, President Xi called for joint efforts to build on an open and inclusive world economy. Now, I'd like to know from you, Professor Ananaiju, in reference to this, what else stood out from this dialogue moving forward? I think, like, you know, um, basically industrialization, and we've seen quite a lot of that, and the key to that is building critical infrastructure in Africa. In Nigeria, you have the Lekki Free Trade Zone, which is a pioneering industrial zone built in cooperation with Chinese uh, company, the CCECC. Then the Wangdon Ogun Free Trade Zone in another state in Nigeria, the Special Economic Zone in Calabar. And of course, these are all uh, important uh, hubs for industrialization. And um, of course, the Industrial and Capacity Production Corporation, which has been a major team in China-African cooperation, has also advanced these prospects in very significant way. And uh, of course, um, not only that African industrialization and expansion, has also made Africa hubs for uh, exports to international market. As you know, the Eastern Industrial Framework in Ethiopia, uh, where high-quality shoes are manufactured, are also exported to Europe and America. These are all important and game-changing impacts on Africa. So I think uh, that leader dialogue in August will also address the issue of capacity building, industrialization as a very important element in Africa's economic growth and diversification of our economy. So I think um, it remains top of the table. It remains priority for Africa. And uh, of course, uh, China's commitment to this process is uh, significantly guaranteed with whole range of issues, with whole range of joint development of industrial hub and trade zones in Africa reinforce the centrality of this very important issue that is close to Africa, that is very central to African regeneration, African industrialization, and African economic transformation. So I believe that um, it is a high point and a key point in China-African cooperation and would also be clearly stated, perhaps, in the next uh, ministerial conference or summit between China and Africa, hopefully ahead. This will continue to make a very important contribution to building China-African cooperation in the future. Okay. Professor Liu, still on development, I'd like to know from you, what were perhaps some shortcomings, perhaps with understanding and engaging each other in 2023, that could be made better for 2024? One is to measure the entire capacity uh, and to synergize uh, with each other. Some of those uh, programs, particularly those mega projects, as I see it, they made a very tight budget over this one, but uh, they kind of uh, oversight a number of uncertainties that may disrupt those uh, the investment program. And there could be a deficiency both in terms of finance or in terms of manpower or in, in terms of the big swine issues. Such, such sort of uh, suspension or disruption can cause a triple effect in many parts uh, of those uh, stakeholders. So the other is that uh, 
there has to be, as uh, Professor Charles has mentioned, the host uh, parties to take ownership into that one. So it is not really there. Uh, you know, the China is there to build a turnkey projects and okay, say bye bye before uh, the ensure that they they are able to have the technical and also institutional expertise to really operate on it on a more the sustainable basis. And then I think again the small and beautiful program can really actually be the mainstay uh, in the involvement of the private sectors to engage because, um, you know, even you have a superhighway or you have uh, railways without more of the employment opportunities, without uh, the development of those uh, agricultural or industrial programs, they won't really uh, generate the right type of uh, uh, profitability. And then I think now a more holistic approach with those uh, projects. For example, you do not really simply design a railway for railway. You really have to integrate it into the whole national development program or at least the regional development program, uh, what uh, hotels can be built along the road and what type of uh, industrial projects can be built to benefit from the road. So there needs to be a more coordinated approach before people really plunge into those uh, projects. So that's what I really observe uh, with some of the projects that are encountering the unexpected challenges. Professor Nanaiju, what could have been done better in China and Africa relations moving forward? Well, um, like uh, Professor Liu said, a whole range of uh, coordination, you know, infrastructure, is a double-edged sword, you know. There are facilitators, there are enablers. You must uh, integrate it to broader national program so that uh, it serves a particular purpose. Otherwise, it becomes a debt capital and becomes a liability. So it is absolutely important to uh, situate all this within the context of a broader economic, national economic integration developed through a well-coordinated program and plans. Otherwise, you will scatter them across the country and they are not enabling anything. If you build a road, it should lead to somewhere. It should lead from the farm to the market. Otherwise, it is completely not good enough. So there is need for more coordination to avoid white elephant projects Countries in Africa has the responsibility to define an economic framework that integrates some of this support into their national plan. And uh, so they can become vehicles for generating and creating more values and uh, integrating them into the network of uh, economic plan that delivers important results. So I think this is an important lesson going forward for China-African cooperation. And any predictions for China-Africa relations in 2024? Professor Liu, Professor Ananaiju, who'll go first? <laughs> okay, I, I, I go first. I think there's going to be acceleration of more engagement and activities, uh, particularly with uh, FOCAC is uh, setting on the, on the agenda. Uh, more specifically, because China recently announced to reduce the import tariff 
almost to 0% for six countries in Africa. And then China is ready to implement a full-scale the zero tariff program for all the least developed countries. And so this is really a very tangible benefit. The second is that uh, because China is eager to build more of the tourism program, given that Africa has so much tourist resources over there. So given there's more the uh, security guaranteed, given there's more uh, infrastructure that is being developed. So many Chinese people and even Asian people actually are on the waiting line actually to to make their tour in Africa. And third is that uh, how we can really attract more of the private investors in Africa so that uh, more of those uh, small but uh, sustainable program can be uh, built to really to benefit from those actually existing mega projects and get further integrated. And then uh, lastly, I think how we can really uh, actually deliver those capacity building programs in terms of the science labs to be built, in terms of the training program for government officials and business leaders, and uh, uh, scholarship to be offered to African students. So all of which can be run out. And lastly, I think green development and digital development will really be the setter for the coming year. Wonderful. Professor Nanaiju, your predictions for 2024? You know, beyond um, economic issues, beyond um, development, yes, we expect uh, greater cultural engagement, you know, deepening cultural engagement to reaffirm the humanism of both sides, the humanity of both sides, especially in an era where um, faith in the human value has been uh, severely shaken by developments from uh, Western friends uh, who range of subjects. Six. We look forward to reaffirmation of the African person, the African personality in the broader context of China, African cooperation, and uh, more uh, engagement in the cultural sector more engagement in the academic and intellectual sector of numerous changes in that respect. The Tick Tank Forum, which had its 12th edition last year in Jinghua, uh, Zhejiang, Noma province, we're looking forward that more of this will happen, more people-to-people exchanges. And um, I, I look forward that this year we see more vigorous exchanges, especially in the cultural sector, in the scholarly uh, educational sector. And um, this is what I see with the end of the pandemic, the opening up of both sides to each other. We will witness more of this. And uh, we will see also more high-level political cooperation. China and Africa making common case as a very important international fora, like uh, the United Nations. We will see China and Africa making greater affirmation of the need for peace, you know, finding common ground in disputes in the Middle East, in Europe, calling for de-escalation. These are all going to be visible as we move forward. China-Africa voices will grow more louder, especially in advocating for reforms of the international governance system, for stability within some turbulent regions, and of course, um, driving a process of uh, 
international governance that is more consultative, more cooperative, and less confrontational. We're going to see more of China and African voices becoming more prominent and eminent in this respect. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, the cooperation between the two sides will naturally evolve to engage the realistic and the practical challenges of the two sides. I can assure you will be the trend of China-African cooperation moving forward. Professors Liu Baocheng and Charles Unanaiju, thank you so much for your time. Pleasant and a happy 2024. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Post it on social media or leave a rating and review. Thanks again. See you next time. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in.